out there listening, please send help. Sunflower's on the move and we can really use some backup. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I welcome back Moss Powers to talk about his JRPG-inspired TTRPG, Infinite Reverie. Take on the role of a Resistance member on your mission to defeat the evil organization Sunflower and become a hero. We talk about unique number systems, random number generation, and nostalgia. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am incredibly excited to welcome back an old friend of the show and somebody I chat to really frequently on Discord. Hey, Moss, welcome back to Schedule for Launch. Thank you. It's good to be back. We were looking at it before the the show actually kicked off, and we realized that it's been almost a year since you've been on. August 31st was the like that was the release date of your episode so we wouldn't have recorded more than a week or two before that yeah it's been uh it's been quite a time is what it feels like <laughs> i'm sure a lot's happened for audience members who may not have heard the Trashnautica episode can you please tell or remind the audience of who you are uh i am moss i am a ttrpg designer i suppose uh i I'm pretty recent to the game, I guess. I've been doing this a little less than a year now, if our episode mm-hmm. was a year ago. Yeah. Um, but it's been around a year that I've been designing TTRPGs. I uh, sometimes LARP in my spare time, so that's kind of where my roots are in terms of creative stuff. But I, uh, yeah, I, I design TTRPG games now. <laughs> it's so exciting because when we first started out, you were like, yeah, I I'm just trying to kind of do this. It's for for charity and the like urban animal charities, which was really cool. It's like a you had this mm-hmm. like huge drive and aim for that. And I wanted to actually hear a little bit about how things went with Trastronautica after after you came on cuz I think the game released about a week after our episode went live. Yeah, uh the game went off to a pretty good success. Uh it's been a steady flow of of downloads and i'm hoping donations as well i haven't been keeping tabs with the exact numbers that the uh organizations pulled but i'm hoping it kind of increased a little traffic to their donations and uh it's been a pretty steady flow of, of downloads since then and i've had some spikes here and there but uh i would call Trashronautica a big success like i was happy with it that's rad i am so happy for that it just like I said, I think one of my my biggest things about that game was how much I loved both the the system and how it ran, but also how it looked. So we are now going to be looking at another very visually appealing game, and based on one of... Uh, no, it's definitely my favorite genre of video games out there. We're going to be talking about Infinite Reverie today. Yeah, Infinite Reverie is uh, definitely... An exciting project. I'm super hyped about it. What is Infinite Reverie, Moss? So I usually describe Infinite Reverie as my love letter to JRPGs in TTRPG form. Uh, mm-hmm. It is it is my homage to the games that I grew up with. Uh, games like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, uh, Chrono Trigger, 
games that I loved growing up that yeah. captured this kind of very specific feel. And uh, I've tried to put together a TTRPG with some really experimental concepts that kind of captures some of those those feelings that those games gave me. And from what I've read, I think that it's definitely... I'm, and I'm not sure if... Did you send me the, the full file as is or... Like that uh, because I sent you what really I had cool. up until then. Okay, um, I've since yeah. done some updates, but it's a work in progress. If that's your work in progress, then like you're you're getting there for sure because it's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Infinite Reverie is a JRPG inspired tabletop role playing game, and one of the most important things in a JRPG is obviously the story. So I think before we really get into how this game works, we should talk a little bit about the lore. Would you mind giving people a brief rundown of what they can expect from the the stock, quote-unquote, background story for Infinite Reverie? Yeah, so Infinite Reverie kind of takes place in a vaguely cyberpunk dystopian world. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the default setting, obviously. that can be yeah. modified for other settings, but uh, it's about the nation of Sindern, which is a country that experienced a drought or a famine, a drought that led to a famine rather, um, and a corporation called Sunflower that ended up buying out all the debt that Sindern incurred during this drought or famine. Okay. Uh, And Sunflower has since taken over the government and now kind of runs the show. And it's about the revolution kind of uh, dealing with the aftermath of Sunflower's takeover. Uh, Sunflower has deregulated themselves and have begun to poison the world. And there's a lot of uh, JRPG tropes with like crystals and airships and all sorts of things like that. Uh, We've actually got a a storyline document coming hopefully soon. It's not quite finished yet. It'll be released after the rules are out. But yeah, so the entire storyline is like an eight chapter affair that deals with the revolution fighting back against Sunflower, who is... Uh, kind of poised themselves as, as the bad guys and escalated as things kind of got worse with Sindern. There's a very common um, theme of like the cost of revolution within the story. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of hard decisions to make for the characters. And uh, it's, it's generally not a, f- a pleasant storyline necessarily. Mm-hmm. There are some, uh, violent points and some points that are a little tough to deal with, but I really wanted to pay homage to those JRPGs that inspired me with some really hard-hitting story moments. Mm-hmm. I think JRPG fans will recognize some of that right off the the hop there, because if you want to, let's go for like the big the big guy in the room. Final Fantasy VII has a very similar starting point. Yes, absolutely. With with Shinra instead of Sunflower. So like you can kind of make that comparison in a sense. A little bit of difference on how they got there, but that's definitely like a, a touchstone for me. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII was a huge inspiration in particular. Um, Shinra and Sunflower obviously being very comparable. So mm-hmm. uh, most of the Final Fantasies definitely have some influence on it, particularly seven and ten. Uh, ten yep. mostly in the playbooks. <laughs> yes, I'm excited to talk about those in a little bit. So one of the things that really deviates Infinite Reverie from Trash Tronautica is that combat is more of a thing here. 
when we last talked, combat's not something that you wanted to focus on with that game specifically because you wanted to do something a little bit different with that. But this combat system's really interesting. Do you mind if we look over the the combat system and how weapons and magic and ultimate moves work in this game? Uh, absolutely, let's do that. Let's start with weapon attacks. It's really interesting and has that really cool prime number table. What is this thing? Where'd this come from? Um, so I was kind of experimenting with some ugly math designs intentionally. <laughs> okay. I call them ugly math because it's not something most people would kind of deal with on a tabletop game. Um, yeah. But it comes from... Really, I was inspired by uh, a project by J-Dragon called uh, In the Time of Monsters that uses some like factorial numbers. Or not factorial. Uh, yeah, expo- exponents and things like that. Okay. And I thought the concept of like a high math, interesting, crunchy, kind of weird game was kind of fascinating to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to play with my own version of an ugly math game. And I decided, what if you took exploding dice that explode upward and just exploded them down instead and just factored them into themselves? So the way the weapon system works is uh, when you roll a number that can be divided by any two numbers greater than one, so two and something else usually, uh, you divide those two numbers and you take those two numbers and you plug them into a new formula. So if you roll a, say, a 14, you have a 2 and a 7, you'd suddenly get uh, 2d7 or 7d2. And the whole thing kind of necessitates using uh, non-standard dice because we factor into such weird numbers. Yeah. So digital dice are almost entirely required. Mm -hmm. So we kind of leaned into the digital format a little bit with it. I think that's kind of like a a sign of the times right now, too, because... COVID's still ongoing right now, and online mm-hmm. play for the tabletop role-playing game space is still really common. I think it's growing a lot more. I'm seeing a lot more different virtual tabletops coming out that allow you to plug in your own systems. So I think that's it's kind of like the perfect time to start pushing out games like this. It's a little experimental, but I think people are going to dig it. Yeah, the whole thing is kind of high concept in terms of like what I've done with it. But mm-hmm. I'm really leaning into that digital aspect partly because of the pandemic. Like having that space to play in new mediums has been like an interesting creative push, honestly. Yeah. I also think it's a little bit easier to find people willing to try out independent made games online. I remember oh, trying sure. to intro Yeah. I remember trying to introduce friends to like wander home around me and they just were not into the idea. So online it was (laughs) yeah there are so many communities that are so good for indie games right now Mm -hmm. all right so the weapon system works with this kind of like as you said ugly dice system which is a lot of fun i really liked it i'm super grateful that you put a breakdown table in the actual document because i'm bad at numbers (laughs) a lot of people are yeah my personal favorite thing, though, and definitely where I would lean into this game is the magic system, which is a little bit weird, and I really like it because it's super interesting and has its own form of randomness to it. Can you talk about how the magic system works for Infinite Reverie? Uh, so the magic system is built around a guessing game where you be- guess or declare certain characteristics of your spell, and those mm-hmm. correspond to characteristics 
of your card on a deck of playing cards, like a standard deck of playing cards. Yeah. Um, so when you're casting a spell, the first thing you declare is what you're casting. So if you're casting a dark magic spell or a light magic spell, usually dark magic is offensive, light magic is defensive. Yeah. And the uh, light magic is represented by red cards and the dark magic is represented by black cards so when mm -hmm. you flip a card the first thing you're looking at is whether the card is red or black and if okay. you guess correctly or declare it correctly um you'll proceed to the next characteristic of the card and you'll add the full value of that card to your uh spell your spell damage mm -hmm. or your spell effect if you guessed correctly on the first one you'll flip to the second one which is your element and every suit is tied to a different element so we've got fire for hearts, diamonds are uh, ice, we got clubs which are electric, and spades which are earth. Okay. Um, if you guess correctly on your element, uh, you'll add the full value and flip to the third aspect, which is whether the spell is inside or outside, like a critical you're aiming for, or a spread effect. Okay. Um, and if you manage to guess that correctly, whether you're card is in between or outside of your previous two cards uh you can either add critical effects or spread damage to multiple targets which is kind of a interesting guessing game you get to play with the magic system uh, and should you fail you add the half card value instead on your card that breaks the streak and you stop there okay so it's it's like a way to build combos based on a bit of a gamble system yeah, it's designed to have a non-standard curve in terms of like the combo potential or the mm -hmm. the critical potential, the same way that the weapon system works as well. Because mm -hmm. weapons have about a 50% chance of factoring based on your die size. If it's even number, it's probably going to factor. Yeah. Um, and the cards themselves, you have about a 50% chance of guessing correctly on your first one and moving on to the second one. And sometimes they factor more on the weapons, and sometimes you get the third card on the magic. So it actually has kind of a beautiful little symmetry to it. That's rad. I really like that a lot. And like I said, I definitely probably lean more into a, a spellcaster in this game just because I like to play with cards from time to time. Moss, when we're talking about pulling cards for this deck, is it a single deck amongst the table or is it individuals? Usually it's a single deck amongst the table, but uh, I'm pretty fast and loose when it comes to cards. It's just a randomization system, so however you want yeah. to do it. If you want to encourage card counting, you can play with a single deck. If you want to uh, just fully randomize it, you can shuffle them back in when you're done. Like At the end of the day, it's just a mm -hmm. randomization sim system, and I'm not particularly attached to however players want to play with it. Okay, keep it fast and loose then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and the last big kind of move is it ties into another one, which is the block and flee mechanic. Mm -hmm. So actually, let's go over block and flee really quick, because I think it kind of plays into the next thing we're going to talk about after that. All right, so blocking is uh, a simple way to add damage reduction to your character, but it also mm -hmm. charges uh, what we'll talk about in just a second, ulta moves. Um, but blocking is a a way to charge those up and also shift your initiative around the battlefield and mm -hmm. clear conditions that might be affecting your character uh, as well as it's the prompt for fleeing if you need to do that so yeah. if your characters are up against odds that they don't want to deal with or if they're in a position where they 
just don't want to finish out of combat uh, all the players can block and elect to flee and when they do so the the combat is over and you'll decide from there like how they escape or what they've done mm-hmm. and when we're talking about flee as well it doesn't mean that you can flee from every fight kind of like the standard rpg yeah format. of course there's there's got to be bosses that just can't be run from especially in the storyline documents that are coming like some of these combats are going to be narratively important you can't just uh flee your way out of them unfortunately but uh-huh. uh some things like one of the main themes of the game is like i i talked about earlier the cost of revolution but yeah um some of the more dramatic fights in the storylines deal with the the violence that is kind of almost necessary in this world of infinite mm-hmm. reverie um and it being my first kind of game that really leans into that is uh something that i've thought about a lot but i feel like is totally appropriate for what i was going for yeah it makes sense and something too that you actually have put down in this game before we talk about alta moves actually we're going to hit on this because it links really well together is party defeat and mm-hmm. what happens when all your party members are either knocked down they're not necessarily killed which is something that i find really interesting in a tabletop role-playing game format because you don't see ko's often and that's yeah. a standard trope of jrpgs as well yeah uh there's the narrative trope of like characters don't die unless they actually like need to die for storyline purposes Mm -hmm. i think we all know who we're talking about but uh yeah there's a there's a knockout system so your characters just because they're they're down in a fight doesn't mean that they're out forever like you don't lose your character necessarily unless you decide that that is narratively appropriate for the character to die in that combat uh, I have a little blurb about talking about how um, characters should never die without permission of the player running them. Yeah. Uh, and you can obviously do that in a session zero. You can kind of prepare and say, hey, if if I'm knocked out, I want it to go down fair. I want to I want to be killed. You can establish mm-hmm. that in a session zero if you'd like to, but it's not the default that you're necessarily uh, gone just because you're out. Yeah, it's a really cool system, and I think it's it's super simple. It's something that could be implemented into other games just by talking about them a little bit in that earlier session stuff or well like you said session zero like you can decide hey if we're KO'd we're knocked out we wake up at the end we lose some money yeah that's always possible in infinite reverie um I do talk about like whether or not you want to do that is up to you so like i really encourage Mm -hmm. that session zero conversation so i think that's really important in games is like communication first and foremost yeah okay so one of the most visually stunning and useful things in a jrpg is always your special attack in infinite reverie these ones are called alta moves what's an alta move how do they work what can they do so ulta moves are your special attack like you kind of uh said they're the moves that uh simulate kind of limit breaks overdrives whatever you want to call them from final fantasy or other games where you're just Mm -hmm. kind of powered up all the way and you make a a big 
a flashy attack basically yeah um and the way they work in infinite reverie is you have this bar this uh this track that keeps tally of certain actions in combat uh so you'll have a single tick on the track when you attack a single tick when you cast a spell a few ticks when you guard but you'll also get ticks for factoring weapon dice which represent like hitting in combos and like powering up mm-hmm. or when you guess successfully with a magic spell um so when this track fills up to 25 uh you'll have access to your ultimate move which is your big special attack and you'll be able to unleash that on uh the battlefield which should grant you some huge advantage in most cases but Ultimates range from everything from inflicting every single status effect on an enemy to dealing lots of damage to all enemies to healing to uh, blocking for several turns. Like, yeah, uh, I think my favorite ultimate move is one that lets you use four items at the same time just for action economy. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> that's a good one, and yeah, like, that's that's solid. Yeah, that feels like really useful, especially earlier on when you're kind of just starting to learn what you can do as well yeah there's a whole whole thing with it it sounds super useful so instead of just kind of having blank slate characters there are playbooks to kind of give you some some ideas some narratives they each do things a little bit differently than one another can you talk a little bit about the playbooks and who might like playing them how they work a little bit yeah so there's actually five playbooks i believe uh as well as three paths and three and three four ancestries yeah i think four four ancestries ancestries. three paths um so it should total out to about 60 character options which is quite a bit um Mm -hmm. and that's just with your base options that's not counting skill selection or things like that but the way we designed the playbooks is that each of them represents kind of an iconic trope of the jrpg character Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them are built around like uh, being like a big stoic hero that like uh, fights really hard and just does a lot of damage and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are built around their compassion. Some of them are built around their like hot headedness. Um, but every one has its own like narrative prompts that you answer when you begin the the creation process for the character. Yeah. And there's actually a really interesting piece that I I wavered on a little bit when I was designing it. But uh, when you're choosing your inventory, there are certain items, your starting inventory, uh, there are certain items you can take that are not tangible items in the truest sense. Yeah. Um, So you get to choose between, do I want uh, 200 glint, which is currency, uh, Mm -hmm. or do I want like an unwavering smile like which of these things is more important to my character development yeah and uh i thought it was a really interesting piece to have that decision because one isn't necessarily more important than the other so Mm -hmm. i didn't want to lock them in like uh i didn't want to put them in a place where they were you get both necessarily but i wanted to make the players choose like what is more important to my character basically yeah and I thought that was an interesting position to put someone in. I think one of the ones that I remember really quickly is the the Tempest, which is the burden of a great destiny, which is unknown to you. Mm-hmm. Or 200 glint, which is, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you can choose both of those, but then you're sacrificing other things. 
yeah there's some give and take in terms of what you're picking from mm-hmm. but the pick lists are uh, a mix of narrative and mechanical items and that's not to say that the narrative items have no use uh in addition to being something that is uh available to your character narratively they're also certain points of the storyline that may rely on those uh traits or those specific items that are narratively chosen mm-hmm. that may uniquely unlock certain you know secrets or benefits in the campaign that we're releasing so that's a neat little piece too yeah that's really cool just having these things that are tied to that and something that i mean something that i really like is that you can have two people choose to play ruination and have really different builds and feels because there's the path system which gives you different options for from what i understand looking at it how you want your character to be built so it's what is it warrior mage and generalist Mm -hmm. and they'll work a little bit differently they get different starting things for instance the warrior has less mage points at the first level or the the mage gets more mage points the warrior gets less mage points so like that kind of stuff there where you start to build out your character kind of almost based on background that way it's it's really interesting and has like this really cool kind of structure to building up your character like blocks yeah they're meant to be modular pieces so that every character can feel a little differently when you're building them Mm -hmm. so like you said you can have a ruination mage you could have a ruination warrior you can have a ruination generalist and on top of that you could be different ancestries you could have different things chosen in your playbook so even if you choose the same features, it doesn't necessarily make you the same character as someone else. Mm-hmm. A pretty common trope in games is, oh no, the healer was killed in a cutscene. We beat them in the fight, we ki- they died in a cutscene. Mm-hmm. But now we just met this new person. Conveniently, they're a healer, but instead of wind magic, they <laughs> use lightning damage. Like that's... Yeah. So you could build like little variations, and I think that's a really cool way to have people come out and try these different character options and on top of that you also get your differences with your ancestry so like one might have more adrenaline which is another mechanic in the game there's just like a lot of really cool options to get yourself built up and started in this game yeah we tried to make uh, as many options as possible for uh, starting players without being too overwhelming so the modular system of like fitting blocks together to create a character seemed like the best middle ground for that. Mm-hmm. Something that Infinite Reverie really does well is it provides a simple enough system with enough depth that you can homebrew a lot of your own content. Making enemies doesn't seem like a, a huge, brutal task or building out a new playbook or a new ancestry isn't something that nobody can do. It seems like you've built this game to be pretty easy to balance homebrewing. What can you tell people who are looking to build something in this system? What is, what's some advice you can give them? I mean, I would say the first and foremost, if you want to build something, don't worry too much about balance until you actually get there uh just Mm -hmm. try to make your concept first um 
that's really how the system was born is like this experimental idea of uh concept first it's it's very uh focused on top-down design i guess yeah um but create your vision first and then worry about balancing it don't worry about like oh is this going to be balanced before you even get to the point of creating what you want mm-hmm. um so try to build from the the top down is my best recommendation for people trying to play with it but uh there's all sorts of templates within the book to play with in terms of like you could rearrange the playbooks or just rename things or reflavor things or mm-hmm. just uh, play with the mechanics, build out whatever you want for that kind of thing. Uh, the monsters are really simple, so they're th- easy to throw together. The items all relatively intuitive. So if you have ideas for anything that you think would be cool or evocative in the JRPG aesthetic, like it's not too hard to slot them into this system and see how they work, like test them out. Yeah. We made sure to kind of put a, a little upfront about how we hope people will use the content and that's like a word about generally offering people the opportunity to play or build in this kind of sandbox we've created for them that's kind of where that question was inspired from because you don't typically see that in these games in big games or small games you don't typically see the creators being like hey we want to see what you can do with this so i think just having that little statement at the beginning just really kind of solidifies some of your ideas about this and how you yeah. obviously have nostalgia for this and obviously like other people do too yeah it's one of those things that like i would love to see other people play in this and it is definitely an implicit license at the front of the game to do whatever you really want to do with it just mm-hmm. if you do something like just give us a mention but uh we would yeah. love to hear or see anything you you managed to pull off with the system because it's it's definitely really interesting to play in and i would love to see other people uh give a shot at creating within it Hmm. it's i really like it i think that this is one of the most intriguing games and it like intriguing for a different reason than other games because this to me brings back a lot of old memories and i know nostalgia is like a huge thing especially with like like millennial generation but i adore this game as it's written right now and i'm really excited to see where it goes moss one of the things that i actually forgot to ask you before that is is this game like itch funding or how's this game being developed are you just releasing it right out or so we're releasing the rule set as a pay what you want like basically if you want access to the rules they're yours but we would love you know a little to help make this more possible um Mm -hmm. but we'll be releasing the storylines with an itch funding component to kind of increase the quality of the if of the uh, product if there's interest so if people really seem to be enjoying it or seem to do well with it uh we would love your support to help make it better than it is right now. Like adding more into your art. I would love to give a little bonus to the contributors uh, that have already worked on it. I would love mm-hmm. to uh, pay myself back for some of the assets that I've already spent <laughs> on it. Um, 
but yeah, if you'd love to see content like this, or if you just want to support what we do, obviously, you know, I hate that it comes down to it, but money does uh, help for those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so itch funding is definitely a component, although uh, I'm a firm believer in community copies, so there will always be access to my games regardless, uh, regardless of any uh, requirements or oh, on my end in terms of making it happen. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned more art and the, first of all, pixel art people, really good freaking pixel art for this one. It's cool and fun and the enemies that are displayed in the basic rule set that was sent to me, adorable. The slime is so cute and (laughs) there's like so much personality in things, just super simple and great and I adore what's going on here yeah i'm really excited about the visual component hopefully we can beef it up a little bit with some more Mm -hmm. art Uh, i love the cover art that we got done uh the cover is fantastic the sprites are good but yeah I, i would love to see more art in this thing just to make it a little more visually like uh appealing in general uh, mm-hmm. Although that's not necessarily like number one priority, I would love to see uh, just the game expanded itself. So uh, having opportunity to do that was definitely something we're considering for the itch funding component. And that'll be mm-hmm. mostly with the storylines that we're looking at releasing for itch funding. Yeah, I think that'll be really cool. Hey, Moss, one of the things I totally forgot to ask you about, and I think it kind of important because you're you're returning here. What's some of the things that you learned during the the release of Trash Nautica to the development of Infinite Reverie? What are some things that you kept in mind when going from one system to the next? Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've kind of gotten throughout the time that I've been doing this, and I'm still relatively new, so obviously take this with a grain of salt, but um, my partner does, or used to do ceramics and she recommended throwing pots like just without expectation um metaphorical pots in this case gotcha so okay (laughs) the idea of the idea of like don't get attached to your final product just because Ah. you made it like just make things for the sake of making things Mm -hmm. and someday they'll be good (laughs) (laughs) um but the idea of like if you want to create things don't get too hung up on the end result until it's ready like yeah you're just gonna not disappoint yourself but like you will set yourself up for over attachment if you're too hung up on perfection so just make things for the sake of making things and i think that's one of the most beautiful pieces of advice i've gotten uh for ttrpgs as well is just if you want to make things make things and don't worry too much about whether they're good or bad or whatever it is just enjoy the process and hopefully people will see the enthusiasm that you've got behind them and uh, maybe someday they'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've heard that too before, like getting attached to certain mechanics or certain characters can be detrimental to your process. If you're trying to pinhole an idea that may not work with the rest of your project and you're just kind of mashing the pieces together. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just like, I love seeing the creation process. I love seeing where Trash Nautica 
started when I first looked at that versus Infinite Reverie, where I'm looking at it now, and seeing how you've grown as a designer is, first of all, it's incredible. It's a totally different setting and a totally different formula. It feels very separate, but it still retains Mm -hmm. those pieces of you and your writing, and I can still... I can still see that you've made this game and I'm really excited for people to get their hands on Infinite Reverie. Me too. I I think having this time to grow as a designer has been fantastic and I hope I can continue to do this for a long time to come. I do too. It's, It's great whenever you put something out and just like seeing what happens. And I mean, what people may not realize about the show is that Moss has been a big proprietor on getting individuals onto this show getting me in contact with really great people so so long as you're hanging around in the indie space i think i'll have people i can chat with about their stuff (laughs) (laughs) i mean i honestly think this is one of the best podcasts out there so i'm i'm really happy about uh directing people here well thank you so much moss moss we're actually starting to run kind of low on time here but i got a couple more questions for you now Here's the first one. Since you're returning, I want to give people a little bit of a different take than what your advice is, because we also already got some really solid advice from you just a moment ago. Mm -hmm. What, What are some tips that you can give to a new designer when they're working on a project and maybe something that might be a little bit bigger than they anticipated that can help them from burning themselves out on it? For you, at least, what's something that helps you from burning out on your projects? Uh, honestly, stepping away and just not worrying about the end result until it's time, basically. Mm-hmm. Don't put yourself on a deadline until you absolutely need to. Yeah. Um, so having that space to like not focus on, oh, I need to get this released by X month um, is really useful to me. And mm-hmm. like Infinite Reverie, I've I started three projects ago. Like I've put it down and picked it up here and there. Um, okay. But I've I've released other things while I was working on Infinite Reverie, just because I needed a break from it, honestly. Yeah. Um, but sometimes just having that space to step away and work on something else and get fresh perspective is really useful. And mm-hmm. you can come back with even better ideas sometimes when you work on other things. So. Don't get too attached to the idea of like grinding out one project before starting another one. Like you can always pick it back up if you come back to it. Like, yeah, I think that's so important because when you're making a game, I think that a lot of new creators don't realize sometimes the scope that they're aiming for. A lot of people Mm -hmm. will go a lot bigger than they expect. Yeah. Scope creep is definitely a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that the hard way during this game jam. (laughs) But I think one of the most important things you can do is just step back, give yourself some breathing space, especially if it's your first project, you do not need to design D and D in a month. You don't need to make anything that big ever by yourself, especially when you're by yourself or in a small team. That's a lot of pressure for one to six people. Absolutely. Moss, where can people find more information about yourself and Infinite Reverie? 
Uh, so most of my activity is on Twitter. I'm at Mossdagger, M-O-S-S-D-A-G-G-A-R. Uh, and I'm also on itch for most of my games. Uh, they are on brewistabletopgames.itch.io. Um, otherwise, we've got uh, a Facebook page, I believe, Brewist Tabletop oh. Games. And I think that's really it as far as like where to find us. All right. As always, audience, those are all going to be linked down in the description below. Please go and support Moss. Moss is an incredible designer, a phenomenal person just to talk to as well, and so supportive of other indie creators and their projects. Plus, Infinite Reverie is, to be perfectly honest, like rad. It's really cool. I'm excited to see more about it. I'm excited to play it. I'm starting to get time to play games, Moss. I'm very excited to play this <laughs> game. <laughs> So, Moss, thank you so much for joining me this week. I had a great time. It's been so nice talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. I had a blast coming on. It's been so nice talking to you and having the Discord available to us. Like, uh, It's been good being in spaces near you. I appreciate your uh, presence. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And as always, audience, thank you so much for listening. Moss has already launched, but Infinite Reverie, that's getting ready to launch really soon. Go out and support it. Until then, though, take care of yourselves. Have a nice night. I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much to Moss for coming back onto the show this week. Infinite Reverie has such a cool mechanical system, and the character options are huge and varied, so I'm really excited to see where this one goes. I was actually talking with Moss a couple days ago, and he got confirmed for some more art commissions, and we're going to get to see some more of that lovely pixel art for some of the character species and a couple of the classes. I'm really excited about it. Go support Infinite Reverie, and get in on the itch. Get a hold of this. It's a really cool system. I think you'll love it. And as always, thank you so much, audience. We had a really popular week for listeners, and we actually are just shy of hitting 500 list, 1,500 listeners. Oh my gosh. That was getting confused with the other bit of information I got, because today, recording this Sunday, we hit 500 followers on Twitter, and I, I'm at a total loss for words on what to say, other than thank you. It's super humbling that so many of you have joined me on this journey and helping support indie creators. I'm really excited about it. I hope we can do so much more. So if you could please go share it with a friend who may like this, I'd really appreciate that. I want to get the word going and keep this, this feeling going on. I'm having a lot of fun, and I hope you are too. Next week, we are bringing on Marshall to talk about the incredible game Pokemon Tales. Let me tell you, it's it's so good. I got to play it with, actually, Marshall and Moss right after recording with Marshall. So I can speak firsthand saying that this is one of the coolest tabletop games I've played in a long time. Until then, though, take care of yourselves, and I'm going to talk to you real soon. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>